Welcome to Slammed, a Boston Celtics podcast brought to you by Odyssey. I'm Megan Adelini from WEI, joined by Esteban Bustios from GBH and Justin Turpin, our producer from Odyssey and WEI. And guys, we are coming to you after the first overtime win of this Celtics season. The first overtime win. Wow. Because they played overtime, but they didn't win. And so the streak continues. It's 15 and zero at home. I can see you calculating that, Esteban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's surprising, right? Because it yeah. feels a little late for this point in the year. Yeah. What was the what was the other overtime game? I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering. It may have either been uh, Knicks or Sixers. I just know this is the first win. Yeah. You know, uh, couldn't have couldn't have come in, in odder circumstances. Right. So I look, we're, we're going to go over the week because there was the second half of this West Coast road trip that I think carries a lot of weight for this team. But last night's game, I had a sneaking suspicion going into it. It felt like an impossible trap game trap because game, yeah. it's not like the Pistons don't have talent and we will get to them. It's not like they are totally devoid of talent but they're certainly making their own history on their side. And it felt like, hey, okay, if they're ever going to make a statement about them not being the biggest losers in the league, it's going to be yeah. against this team breaking their 15-0 and streak at home. And they came close. They absolutely came close. And if you look at the numbers, I think you guys would agree with me that by all accounts, just even watching the game, looking at the box score, looking at the numbers, the Celtics should have lost this game and somehow they eked it out Esteban yeah I mean uh I was on a plane when this was happening so I got off and looked at my phone immediately I was like oh oh um and then looking at the, the numbers uh you know 10 missed threes by Boston in the second quarter um only 28.2 percent on the night and I think Justin you you said this last week when they shoot uh I think it was under 30 percent their record is yeah under 30 they usually don't win if they shoot under 30. And I think that's most teams, but especially with this team. Yeah. Yeah. A team that, that loves to, to run and get, get the open shots from beyond the arc. Um, so it, I think it's something though that I've noticed. And I think even Jokic, Nikola Jokic had a, a quote earlier this season about that, you know, good teams win games that they shouldn't and bad teams lose games that they should win. Um, and the Celtics would show like, Hey, you know, it, as you said, coming in, which should have been a trap game, you know, you're coming back home after a long road trip, holidays, uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff going on, uh, overcame a 21 point deficit. That's a, you know, it, it's a weird thing to say. It's a good win, but it 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 is a good win. Yeah, I think there were a lot of things counting against you. The things that, that uh, if you're the Celtics, the things you mentioned, uh, no Jalen Brown. Right. The fact that the Pistons really out-hustled you for much of the game, I think. Uh, they out-rebounded you 57-43, to 43, and that's not something that improved in the second half. You know, uh, you listen to Kristaps Porzingis after the game, you listen to guys after the game talk about they all supposedly went into the locker room and didn't even have to exchange words. They just kind of looked at each other and yeah. were like, we know what we had to do here, but what they didn't do is go out and get back on the boards in the second half because I don't know how you guys felt, but... Some of the possessions, there was one particular possession, and I don't want to pick on him because he's been good as of late, but Peyton Pritchard, you know, missing back-to-back -back threes, and it just clanks off and clanks off. And it's like, well, you're lucky that you get those second-chance opportunities, but I would have liked a different dimension than it going straight back to where it came from. Um, I thought right. that some of these... I, I don't want to pick on the three-point shooting because it's certainly been a point of success overall as of late and on that West Coast road trip. But I will say, if you're going to play that way, um, I would like to see them have different dimensions of attacking it, which we didn't really see, I thought, until overtime. A lot of it was, it, they, it took them a while, it seemed like, to bring the game back down to their pace, if that makes sense. Yeah, it wasn't really yeah, until they started yeah. giving Porzingis in the middle that it, it got going. And that's exactly. when they kind of went to the low post, especially in the third quarter. It really, they were kind of living and dying by the three, and they finally adjusted in the second half, and it's led to the run. Yeah. And I, again, I think I, I said this last week too, but like, you know, 
Porzingis in that high post is uh, there's like I don't there, there are very few people in the league who can guard it, um, and so you know to to get when you get him the ball down low, uh, he can both contract contract the court and then stretch it out when he goes out for the for the three. Um, I think you know they they as I mentioned before. If you have Porzingis and then at, at least one of the Jays, they're in a good spot, and I think that's that's what it showed. Even in an ugly game, uh, and you know, to, to your point, Megan, you know, Pritchard only one of six uh, on three last night. That's probably not going to be consistent. He's a he's a better shooter. Uh, so on a night when there was a lot of funky things, just having those key pieces uh, was crucial. It was rough for the bench overall, to be honest. Um, yeah. I think pretty much every guy coming off the bench was a minus in last night uh, when they were on the floor, which is unfortunate. Uh, you, you just want to have at least somebody be a spark. But again, you're essentially having a bench player start in Al Horford, even though he wouldn't be a bench player in most seasons. Right. Um, so it's a little bit of a technicality. I do want to get to this kind of overall point that I felt like coming off of this very good week for the Celtics. And uh, just listening to Jason Tatum after the game, he very much echoed something that we heard from Joe Missoula. And it was about a message that they communicated to each other at shoot around prior to the Detroit game. So let's hear from Tatum. We talked about it in shoot around today. The games always don't go as you expect them to, right? Uh, obviously, everybody knows the elephant in the room, their record. But they're a talented team. Like, they're a talented they're more talented than some of the other teams on the bottom end of the standings, um, especially individually. They got some really talented guys over there. They're well coached. Um, I haven't watched every game they play, but you know the games I have watched, they've they've been in them for most of it. They play hard, they make shots, um, and they've lost a lot of games. You know that were kind of close. I haven't seen many games where they got blown out. Uh, so you know you might think it would be easy and. They come and punch you in the mouth and you got to regroup. So I have been a little bit skeptical with Joe Missoula's messaging with this team because there were times last season when I felt like we certainly didn't see it getting through or at least translating to the play on the court. And the message, as you heard from Tatum there, and if you listen to Joe Missoula, was basically you can't go into this game thinking that it's easy and having this thing that Joe Missoula, this mentality that he really hammers home, which is, you know, be emotionally invested in these games and be extremely competitive every night. And I kind of feel like sometimes that's bullcrap because I don't think it's human nature to be able to sustain that unless you're kind of have a screw loose, like a couple of the greatest athletes of all time. Yeah. You know, or at least the most intense, like uh, Garnett, and maybe that permeates throughout your locker room. Uh, but I think if you look at this road trip, and especially if you look at the way that Porzingis plays, what I would say is different about this team, what we're seeing recently, is a level of control that we haven't seen with this team before, or at least iterations of these Celtics around the Jays, where it's never been a question about the talent that they have. But being able to control the effort, to focus the game plan, to come off of a West Coast road trip and not go to, hey, Jalen's out tonight and, you know, we're exhausted. We already made our statement against the good teams on the West Coast. But to continue seemingly making a point of protecting that home court streak or whatever matters to them and not essentially not taking the night off. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I don't know about y'all, but I've, you know, uh, been watching this Celtics, this specific iteration of the Celtics team for a while. And I do feel like in past years, this is a game they would have lost uh, yeah. for all the reasons that, that we mentioned before. Um, so I, th does this win, does it, and, and this is a part of the topic we want to get into, does it help solidify like this is one of the better teams in the league or, or is it like, oh, let's take, let's take a step back. Maybe it's, uh, we need to reevaluate. Oh, you mean because of how competitive it got with right, Detroit? Right. So I think, yeah, now you're starting to sound like my afternoon drive co-host. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is a, there is something very much to that of 
could you look at this and say, oh, gross, they went to overtime with right. Detroit, who's got 28 losses. You know, this is ridiculous. Um, but at the, I go back to what you just said, which is I, I do feel like last year, this, this, uh, whatever, the group last year in this scenario would have taken the night off or right. they would have folded in the fourth or they would have folded in overtime because that's typically what we saw when they would play lesser opponents, especially in the playoffs, when you right. saw them play the hardened Sixers and when you saw them play Miami, it was, it was like they were looking for any opportunity, you know, to bow out. And they, they absolutely didn't do that last night, but you brought up the idea of them being, let's just say best in the league. Um, our guy Perk was on ESPN earlier this week. I believe it was following the Lakers win on Christmas Day. Here's a statement that he made. Starting off with the Celtics Lakers game, right? Because that was the marquee matchup on the for his Christmas Day. And the Celtics proved to me and the rest of the world that they're the best team in the NBA. Oh, I'm not just, you don't say. And, yes, and I'm not just basing this off or what they did yesterday to the Lakers. I'm talking about the clean sweep that they had mm -hmm. for us in L.A. They beat the brakes off the Clippers, and then to come in and do what they did. Look, when I look at that starting five with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Derek White, Drew what? Holiday, and Pazegas, that is so electrifying. And I know all the people, the naysayers are saying they shoot too many threes. I was one of them, but I'm a believer in their three-point shooting. And I'm a believer in a perimeter defense. This team should be favored to win it all. So at this point, I would say that, yes, absolutely, the Celtics are the best team in the league. When mm. you look at their starting five, I don't see how you stack that up against anybody else's starting five and say that they're better. To be honest, I still have reservations about uh, the consistency of their very, very, very top end talent. And I'm talking about Jason Tatum. Right. It's probably not a fair comparison, but if you take Tatum and you stack him up on his best, let's say in, in, in a best um, series against a Jokic, even sometimes against an Embiid, if Embiid is healthy against a Giannis, it's still, you know, it's kind of like 50-50 to me with him and those guys. And that's not to knock Tatum or say that he's not making progress. But I feel like I would, I'm still hesitant to say that they're going to be the overall favorite in the postseason because we haven't really seen him go to that all superstar status as some of those other guys have. Yeah, and it's everything is is relative to me in the regular season especially with like is Porzingis going to be healthy for potential 16 you know victories needed to to get you to a finals uh you know uh, championship um everything looks you can look really great in the the regular season and then you know you'll run into Miami who's suddenly like all right let's turn everything on uh right now and then we'll shoot like 45% for the entire playoffs um so, uh, but as of right now, I, I sort of agree. And I think, you know, going back to like Tatum and even Missoula's comments, when you're talking about a bad team, everything is relative in the NBA. Uh, right. There's no, everybody there is good. Everybody who's gotten to the league is, they're there for a reason. And that's uh, why, that that's why I push back against anybody who would say, right. you know, this team are actually frauds because they went to overtime with the Pistons. Yeah. yeah because... And the, and, it's professional basketball. It's yeah. the league, you know, there's going to be, and they won, which is what yeah. all that really matters in the, in the column. Yeah. And, and a Pistons team who I, you know, I don't have the insight into how they're thinking, but I'm sure are desperate or who are angry at, uh, at, at how this has been. And, and, you know, they hear how people are talking about them. Um, I'm sure part of that is, is also embarrassing. So yeah, they have every incentive to try to win and not, um, have this th this infamous record uh, hang over them. So, I, I but going back to to, to the Celtics, what, what do y'all think is a realistic sort of expectation or goal for them? Just heading on throughout the rest of this season now, given that we think this this is possibly the best team in the league right now. So, <laughs> this might sound kind of ridiculous. 
One thing that has jumped out to me about this team, and it, again, it's, it's you know, we're only about a third of the way through the season, but they've only lo- had one string of back-to-back losses. Yeah. And that's a really telling stat to me because it's about how you're reacting to coming off of a bad night. And uh, those losses were not a second part of a back-to-back. It was... Uh, Minnesota and Philly, I believe they were separated by a night in early November. Um, And, you know, both good teams, so nothing to to really hang your head about. But I look at something like that and say, could you, is it possible you could keep that for the rest of the year? Could it be something where you, you can have a bounce back game after all your losses? Because as unrealistic as that might sound, I'm not sure that, you know, when other people are looking at the 2008 Celtics and saying, well, you should go and you should come up with more than 66 wins or match the 66 wins or the 67 wins that um, the 86 Celtics had. You know, I, I think something right. like having that as a goal is for how the rest of the season plays out would be a really good lesson about your resilience that you're going to show in the playoffs. And when you have a bad night, how you adjust, even if it's adjusting to a different team during the regular season. Yeah, I think one of the things that we mentioned in our, our preparation, you know, they have the best or they have the easiest remaining strength of schedule uh, in the league right now. There is one tough stretch I see next month. They have they're on the road back to back, Indiana, Indiana. Then they have Minnesota here. Then they're on the road again against Milwaukee. That is like the one stretch that pops out to me, just looking, eyeballing it, where it's like there could be maybe some back-to-back losses there. Um, But everything else, to your point, Megan, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, Justin, do you you see a stretch at all where this team could – where they could could lose back-to-back again? I was looking at that kind of that Minnesota one as well. That's going to be a really tough one. And so are that Pacers one because they play quick. And, you know, the one time the Celtics did beat them by 51 earlier this year, they were without yeah. one of the best players in the league in Tyrese Halliburton. So I think that's going to be a tough stretch. And that's going to tell a lot about the team, too, when they have to go on the road and play those teams and then come back and they get a team like Minnesota. So that, that's going to be a telling stretch, I think. Yeah. So another thing to look at just because they're coming off of um, this 15th win at home is the longest home game winning streaks, which uh, I believe the Warriors hold it in terms of the overall league. They have the longest, they have held the longest home game winning streak. Um, The 86 Celtics, again, they have like all the records of these things. They won 38 straight at home. Um, Is that something that matters to you guys? I mean, just winning at home matters. I don't know if it matters to them. I think it matters maybe to like us in terms of narrative. Um, but I, I don't like, again, like it, it's cool if, if you have those records in the regular season. Um, like how, how many home games do you win in the playoffs? Uh, I think I think that's that's what everybody, everybody looks forward to. Absolutely. All right. Should we move on to take flight? Let's do it. Let's do okay. it. Okay. So our first take flight, I don't know, what would we call that? Like our first sample? If you're at a brewery, what do they call it? First Is it taste? A sample? I don't know. It's like it might be a sample. little cups. Our first little cup, our first small glass, our yeah. first serving is, um, you serving. suggested this, cool. Esteban. Yeah, yeah, serving. Our first serving, Esteban, you suggested, what did Detroit do to deserve this? So, of course, yeah. they set a record for consecutive losses in a season, and then they broke that record and set a new record um, with 28 straight losses against the Celtics. This is really interesting to me because uh, my parents are actually from Detroit. They both grew up there, and we had some extended family uh, in over this little break that I took from my day job. And there was a lot of talk about the Pistons Mm -hmm. and people in Detroit seem to be very pissed off about ownership and thinking that this ownership that came in in 2011 has only further screwed up a franchise that has been screwed up essentially since the Chauncey Billups trade in their minds back in uh, 2008 for Allen Iverson. 
And I think if you look at it compared to the Celtics, it is a good lesson of as much as people might get frustrated that this Celtics ownership doesn't always go into, um, you know, the luxury tax and doesn't always uh, go after or land a Kevin Durant or super high name, whoever, you know, free agent, whoever's requesting a trade in July that year, that they are good stewards of the team. And you can find yourself in these endless rebuilds and then going into the first round of the playoffs and then back in another three or four year rebuild even if you're drafting someone like Cade Cunningham. Yeah. And that's kind of where this Pistons team seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, before I get into that, Justin, I, I, I think I realized this yesterday, but have you ever, do you remember the Pistons ever being truly competitive in, in your lifetime? I honestly do not. No, I really oh don't. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause, really cause you, you, you're too young to remember. I mean, young, you're, I'm, I'm I, I, I'm not that old. Older, not that much older than you, but I, I still am old enough to remember like the Pistons making it to the finals in 04 and 05. Um, right. But, but that's just like a foreign concept. Yeah, I was three. So definitely, I don't remember that for sure. I do remember <laughs> okay. playing with uh, Chauncey Billups in some 2K games, though. I do remember that growing up, yeah. but I don't remember so, them being really relevant. Now yeah. I have to ask, and this is not to put you on the spot, but what do these phrases mean to you? Bad boys. Well, that one I've heard. That one yes. I've heard. Okay, was, so you was, know about that. Because that was before yeah, our time. But it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know it. it was, yeah, yeah. Malice at the palace. Oh, of course I know that one. Okay. All right. Yeah, Just check you know that one. <laughs> you have seen all those. Those are those are history. Yeah. YouTube. Yeah, okay. These are like the bookmarks yeah. and quasi-recent oh, yeah. history. To that is also itself like indicative that, like, you know. As you said, Bad Boys is before our time, and right. uh, or any of our time, and like Mass at the Palace, like that's a, a low point in not just Pistons and Pacers history, but league history, and like right. that's like that's like oh, like that's like the last sort of memorable thing. I know you know they had Blake Griffin uh, and Andre Drummond, and they had like a couple of I think a playoff appearance, maybe two, um, but even then, nobody was like oh. You gotta watch out for the the Andre Drummond Pistons, right? No, the most interesting thing was like that they had a Van Gundy. Oh, yeah. look, they have a Van Gundy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it, I think this is probably the saddest thing about it to me is that the Pistons are one of the league's most uh, historically relevant franchises. Um, you know, and and going from as we mentioned the the bad boy era to the uh, to the to the Chauncey Billups, uh, uh, the Wallace, the Wallace, the Wallaces, not brothers, but the Wallaces, Ben and Rashid. Uh, the Rip Hamilton Rip mask. Rip Hamilton mask. Yeah. Uh, Tayshawn Prince. Those are some, it, that it, like they beat the Lakers. They beat Shaq and Kobe in the finals. Um, and this fall from grace is, it's, it's bad for not just Detroit, but just the league as a whole. And, and now for them to be the franchise who, could set the overall record for losses, whether over the course of multiple seasons or in a season. Um, yeah, I, it's it's uh, it's it's terrible for not just I think Detroit, but I think for the NBA. I agree. I think when you have these uh, kind of, I don't know these, as you said, historic franchises. Yeah, you want them to be usually tent poles of your league, whether it's, right. I would include Pistons. I think you see similar things happening with the Bulls. Right. Uh, you luckily have the Celtics where they are and the Lakers for their destination kind of type franchise that they are will always have some relevance. It feels like, but I agree. I, I think it's tough and it's, it's a bummer to watch, but at yeah. the same time, I'm not going to look at last night's game and say, well, now the Celtics are showing some of their ultimate weaknesses. No, no. I mean, it, it, as, as we mentioned, there's a talented team. Uh, Cade Cunningham is obviously who he is, who I think in any other situation or in any other context, the numbers he's putting up, you would be like, oh, like maybe an all-star. But it's just that's it, it, 
he's in su- it's such a, it's such a bad situation that that's just not going to happen. You know, you have other talented players, uh, young guys like Jaden Ivy. Um, something I did realize after watching your uh, sort of uh, the, the game last night and looking into it, uh, they're tied right now for the most turnovers per game per team at fifteen point nine right now. The Pistons, um, the Pistons, they just can't get it out of their own way. Uh, that you know, if you're if each turnover is somewhere around two ish points, that's I mean, my goodness, how, how are you gonna how are you gonna put yourself in a position to win? And there were two or three yeah, yeah, yeah. that they just threw into the crowd. That's a good lesson. Sorry. Oh, that's my. There bad. were two uh, or three last night that they just threw into the crowd that weren't even close. That were just completely yeah. their fault. Like there was just really no rhyme or reason. Just overthrows. It just like bad basketball, and it's not really a bad team. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of young talent, and they they play hard, they play quick, and I think like they go out and give Monty Williams that big contract in the offseason, make him one of the highest paid coaches in the league. Like they did not expect. No team expects to be there, but these this team especially did not expect to be where they are, and it really is. It's it's sad to see. Yeah, kind of reminds I, me of the Patriots, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 uh, one of the things I, I read leading up to this, uh, James L. Edwards, the third with the athletic, he had a really interesting dive into how, um, this team got to where it is now. And I didn't realize they had a chance throughout the years to get Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton. They gave up a pick that eventually became uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. So I guess what. If if y'all were in charge of the Pistons, what what would you do to try to change the, the course of direction? I feel like it is it's almost just like a teardown job at this point. I mean, obviously you're gonna keep Kate, but other than that, yeah. I don't I don't even know where you start. It's in such disarray. And to have this much failure this early in the season, it's it 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 does start you i feel like you have to go down to the studs but maybe that's just me being fatalistic here yeah uh i i i agree i don't know if you i would caution like going and say fire monty williams i don't know if that's the answer at all no 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 yeah well and and sorry just really quick that's another thing and esteban this is something that you and i have talked about with the celtics decisions with joe missoula yeah. Is that when you look at the coaching turnovers, the different spans that the South, that the Pistons have gone through since 2011, just churning through coaches, you know, three and four years, three and five years, uh, you kind of it's it's hard to build any culture for, you know, not to sound like a Miami person, but it, it's hard to build culture that way and right. instill confidence in your franchise. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think. The, the one thing I will say, the streak will end eventually. Uh, they have, as we've mentioned before, they have a talented player in Cade Cunningham who, when healthy, he's going to lead that team to, to some wins. Um, right now, it's just tough. And I've said it before, winning is hard. We don't we don't appreciate how hard winning is. Uh, and it's, it's as simple as that. It's like we, we look at a team like the Celtics. We discuss them every week. And they make it look easy, and it's the opposite. And I think Detroit is is a perfect example. They're like, look, like the, everybody in the league is good, you know. Do you guys think there's any chance it ends tomorrow? They host the Raptors on the second night of back to back. Toronto's in Boston tonight. Travel to Detroit tomorrow. Home road back to back could be tough. And Toronto's not great. Could I hope be, so. could it be tomorrow? I hope so. I hope so. I think. Esteban's like concerned for the Pistons' well-being at this point. <laughs> yes, like I we, like emotional the needs well-being them to win. I, I, the, the league needs them to win. Uh, Wingstop has too much invested at this point. Yes, uh, I don't know if y'all seen the the logo, like the 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 logo moving further and further away on their when they tweet the the scores for the Pistons. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I, running. Away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they it's. Like I said, no, everybody. I, I hate sort of the feeling that people have of like taking glee in in the pain of others uh, of this franchise. No, it's terrible. I want to yeah. see them win. Uh, I I say they win. They're ang- as I said before. They're angry. They're desperate. They're hungry. Uh, it'll be it'll be like a it, it, it'll be like a game seven for them. Uh, let's move on. Something that came up this week because Mark Stein 
who's formerly with the New York Times, uh, it runs a substack now in his substack. He reported that the Celtics were interested, at least looking at former Celtic Kelly Olynyk, who's with the Jazz. Uh, he is averaging just under eight points a game, five and a half rebounds, playing about 22 minutes a game. And looking at him as kind of big insurance where this team definitely needs it, I believe. When you have Kristaps Porzingis, who we all know his injury history. You have Al Horford, who as great as he looks most nights, is still 37 years old and hasn't played uh, the second part of a back-to-back in the regular season in two seasons now. But I'll toss it up to you guys. I'm just going to jump in front of it and say I don't see this as a realistic option for the Celtics unless Kelly Olenek somehow makes it to the buyout market uh, after the trade deadline in February. Otherwise, he's got $12.2 million. It's going to be too much that you'd have to send back to Danny Ainge to make it work. Yeah, there's an obvious yeah. connection with the Celtics and Ainge, but like you said, that 12 million. So that's either going to take one of your top six guys, which you'd assume are untouchable, or multiple reserve guys, which if you're already questioning the depth, that doesn't make sense to move on from those guys. So I'm with you. I don't think there's any real logical way to make this trade work. Yeah, I mean, if if I, I guess first, do we all sort of agree? And I, you said this, Megan, I agree. Do we think that that the the big position, you know, a forward center, that's where it's, it's needed the most uh, depth wise on this team right now. Absolutely. But that's been the case for years. I don't, right. you know, it, it's just the nature to me of the position where a lot of the hyper talented guys that make a difference. And when they're on the floor happen to be very injury prone, you know, it's the right. body type for most teams. So I don't think that they're alone in that, which again, makes it difficult because how right. many, uh, how much insurance can you get out there that's actually going to shore up you in a meaningful way? I don't know. It's something that they kind of have been living with in one form or another for several seasons at this point. And right. I don't really think that there's anybody out there that I see. It would have been an interesting if you could have seen Isaiah Stewart last night on the Pistons because right. he's right. a cheaper option and a younger option. But I, it's to me, it's like, yes, you, you certainly need the depth, but let's not think that you're going to go out there and get somebody uh, who's going to, you know, suddenly be the seventh guy in your rotation. Yeah, I mean, especially at this point, like, yeah, what, what are teams willing to give up? And like, if, if Boston is trading, people are going to want something out of them. I, I mean, I, I is there anybody in the rotation in the regular rotation that you would be willing to give up. And that my sort of answer is I, I can't see it. Um, Not in the top I, eight I, now. Yeah. I wouldn't give up Peyton Pritchard. I wouldn't give up Sam Hauser. Um, one, one name that I saw sort of floated out there, which I, I, I agree with vehemently, even, even looking at the numbers is um, even like an even swap Al Horford for Olenek, which I just think is, uh, like Olenek is is probably or Horford is probably the closest comparison on the team for what Olenek is producing also at the that position. Um, and he has like slightly better numbers, only slightly, but even then, it's like you know, trading Marcus Smart in the offseason was one thing, but if you trade Al Horford during the season, um, as like your veteran leader, that's just a, a huge blow for the team, even if you're and Getting a guy who, who could do maybe a little just a little bit more. You're just getting too cute, is what I think. Yeah. It's like making a move. The only reason I think why you would do a move like that is if Al Horford is, you know, has some kind of terrible off court behavior and he's right. never been that guy. So right. I, I can't really think of how that would be a meaningful upgrade. Yeah, uh, Justin, you you've uh, you have have mentioned his name a lot so i want to ask you this namish Keda, do you think he has sort of is he's sort of the secret answer for for big depth uh i know you know he's on a two-way contract do you think that's like the answer that that they have it's it's sitting there already 
Well, I think it's the backup plan because they have the open roster spot right now. So you could convert his deal to a standard deal. And I think he's been good in his minutes. I think he really has to cut down on the following. It's been a real problem. He had four again <laughs> last night. Um, yeah. He also looks a little lost at times defensively, but in terms of like what they want to do, he's a terrific screener. He's awesome on the offensive rebounding. So I think he could be like kind of a plan B. Like if you can't find someone that makes sense, you can't, you know, ship out one of your lower end bench guys, then look, you have this empty open roster spot. Let's, let's slide Cater right in. And I think he could make an impact. We've seen him do it in his minutes that he's gotten. And now last night, again, Missoula went to him over Cornette. So he's starting to earn a look at the third center, first one off the bench when Al Horford starts. So, so um, yeah, I think that could be your plan B. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is, it is very much like, in the vein of you know the Danny Ainge slash Brad Stevens Celtics of just like let's find a guy who was like okay in his last stop and then he'll come here and he'll just start producing. Um yeah I'm I'm really I'm really fascinated to see what, what they do with, with Kata just just moving forward. I mean do, do y'all do y'all see the Celtics converting the that two way into the into a full roster spot? I could, especially after they survey what is available and they love to wait for the buyout market traditionally. Yeah. And if they look around and he's developing the way that he has been very recently, like I agree, Justin, he, he looks like a young guy. Like he looks like yeah. a young guy who's lacking some experience and that's to be expected. I think it's just, um, it, it, it's so much more noticeable when he's out there with most of the other guys that he's out there with where it's right. like, Hey, you know, what are you doing over there? <laughs> Come back down to earth. Um, it, and he's 24. So like you said, he's young. Yeah. It's to be expected. And he's playing with all, all stars pretty much. Like you look at right. that top five, it's, it's tough. And it's, it sounds crazy to say that when it's like, okay, Jason Tatum is 25, but you know what I mean? In terms of just right. the experience, the minutes, the, uh, the, the situational stuff is where I think if, if he develops in that, then yeah, I don't see why not. You know, I think that that would make a lot, that would make more sense to me than going out and possibly dealing somebody else from your depth chart to bring in somebody who you don't even know if they're going to work in this current iteration. Right. It, and again, it feels like if they want somebody of consequence, they'll have to give up someone who is already of consequence on the team. So this is probably a larger conversation, but do they, do you see them making any big trades or at all or any big roster moves or do, do you, do y'all see them just sort of standing pat as it is? I see them standing pat. If you think that it's going to, if you're asking about whether any of the rotational players, you know, seven or eight guys are going to be sent right. out. I just, it's tough because you want to give this team a vote of confidence before the trade deadline and signal to them that you are all in and that, you know, kind of reward them for the great effort that they have been consistently putting out so far in the season. But at the same time, you, you did so much work before the season started. I mean, you sent out two extremely meaningful core players and brought two new guys in. So it kind of feels like, again, I'm like, don't get cute. You know, don't go right. bring somebody in just to say, hey, we did something. You know, we're not cheap and we care about you. Right, right. And if, if as we said, if, if we're all in agreement that we think this is uh, potentially the best team in the league as it is right now uh, when healthy, why why change? Or why, why make too drastic of a change, you know? Um it's not like they're a team like the Knicks who are maybe like still a piece away or something like that. Um, it feels like this team as it is has what it takes to uh, be a true title contender. Why, why, why mess that up? Yeah. Look like you're not going to bring in a, a backup big who, if something happens to Porzingis is going to make up right. for the loss of Porzingis. There's certain uh, weaknesses down the depth chart that I think you're either you're you're just gonna have to learn to live with and compete with because no team is perfect. Right. And even if Porzingis like if Porzingis gets hurt uh as we get later to the season uh postseason that all that already you're not as you said you're not gonna replace him. 
so it, it, why why give up somebody that you may need in that case uh, if it's someone lower on the depth chart uh, for a maybe uh, when, when you need as much depth uh, as you can get. Absolutely. Okay. Final take. And then we're going to do, we're going to visit something right after this final serving from our take flight. We're going to talk about the Ciara video. We're going to talk about Al Horford in the Ciara video. But before we get to that, I just have to ask you guys, do you feel like the NFL has successfully encroached on the sacred Christmas day ritual that has been NBA basketball. Yeah. Do you feel like this slate of NFL games did enough to pull away? Look, it's never going to be NBA is never going to compete audience wise with the NFL but I guess taking away from that tradition and making themselves the big moment of the weekend. I would say, no, I, I, I still think of Christmas day as that is a basketball day um, with some football on the side. Like I, it was, I, I sat and watched the, the Ravens 49ers game. Uh, it was a great game or it was at least exciting to see Lamar Jackson go off like that. Um, but I still think of Christmas Day as like, look, you have what six six ish really strong matchups, um, and I think that it's why it may be the best of the holiday sport traditions, whether that's Thanksgiving football, Christmas basketball, because you know, like Thanksgiving, Cowboys and Lions are always going to play, even if they're bad. Uh, and mm-hmm. then, but the Christmas Day games, you're always going to get good NBA games like that on, on purpose they scheduled that way right so i i think it's i think it's still christmas day basketball with uh with the nfl there sort of justin yeah as a basketball guy i was i was watching basketball but like a lot like i was getting text from my friends like none of them are watching it like they're all watching football and that's just kind of it falls especially like fantasy playoffs now there's betting and yeah. stuff everyone's kind of focused on football and i guess that's just reality like like you mentioned megan like it's never going to compete audience wise. The NBA is just never going to compete audience wise. It just, it's not going to happen. Football is king when it comes to viewership and all that. So I think it is kind of intruding a little bit on the uh, marquee day in the NBA calendar. They'll never do it because of uh, the complete loss of revenue of games that they would lose. But I have always wanted the NBA to start on Christmas day. The year that they did that, the strike year, was such a fun moment to me because I was so bummed out missing the NBA through the fall. I think it was 2011. And just sitting there waiting for, might have been 2010. I'll go back and check. But um, waiting for basketball to come back. It was like such a moment because, again, you know, you always want to start with these marquee games. And... I would love for that and for that to be the duration of the season. Again, it would never happen because they lose so much revenue. But if you did want to hold on to that spot and say, like, we own this day, the way that the NFL owns one day of the week for half the calendar year, I think that could be a way to do it. Again, we'll never do it. Too much less revenue. What would you think of this? I don't know how you guys felt about the in-season tournament. You make the knockout games of the in-season tournament on Christmas Day. That's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like bring some. Don't give more that away energy. for free, Justin. I, I'm not gonna. That's that's locked up. That's that's a slammed exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh I guess that it I think it's great just because like yes, make it competitive and make it great. Right. I guess the other the, the only issue probably from the NBA's perspective is that they wanna get they wanna guarantee their marquee names are on there. And if you have like a team like Indiana, who sort of is like, we're gonna have a really good run during this uh, during the tournaments, and we're just gonna happen to be there, even though nobody necessarily thought that's what it was gonna be. That could maybe like screw up a little of, of the league's grandiose plans. But if just having it be as competitive as exciting as we saw the in season tournament do or be already, that's great. And there's no reason the in season tournament has to be that early in the season, right? There's nothing right. right dictates that or you I like just it. extend it so you're not necessarily having those b 
big tiebreakers like we saw Celtics Bulls like those point differentials like if you extend it they'll still be like it'll, that'll still happen because there's a point differential factor but it won't be as drastic as it is when it's a four game regular season slate I guess you would call it or whatever they call that the group play slate is four games like yeah. if you extend it out make the group play or the the uh, knockout rounds on Christmas Day. I just think it's a good way to bring in more attention because I, from what I saw, and like the uh, the ratings and stuff, like they did really well those in season tournament games. They yeah. did. I think the only thing that you risk there is one of the points that they were trying to make was to make people watch November basketball. That's true. <laughs> and That's true. The other side would be okay, depending on the tournament schedule, you start to run up against NFL playoffs, which is just a nightmare scenario i think even for very dedicated sports yeah. fans it starts to go okay you know one of these is an in-season tournament and one of these is looking towards the yeah. super bowl it's just a tough way to schedule but i like right. the idea yeah they're gonna have to tweak a lot of that tournament so yeah you know, we're sure. just giving out ideas for free here if if they do the in-season tournament on christmas day uh to justin's point does that mean like they have like a candy cane court that is mandated by the league or something like that. <laughs> it's like snowflakes instead of the, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Regular lines. They have a snowflake. snowflake. And, yeah. 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 I, I, I could see off. it. I could see it happening and, and everybody just, please don't do that. But <laughs> it, 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 that, that aside, that idea, I think, uh, that works. Let's do that. I would love to see that. Okay. The most important point, of the entire show so far, Anna Horford <laughs> putting out this video from Ciara, this music video that Al Horford was in. What year is this from? Like, I'm looking at it, and Al Horford has aged very gracefully. Like, I'm not making a comment on that. But my my guy is wearing a scarf indoors. Like, that's definitely of an era. I don't know if you ever remember that. Uh, Justin, but there was an era of like scarves are a, are an all day accessory. So you take off your jacket and it's like very uh, stylish for a guy to wear a scarf around like a long really? sleeve shirt. Yeah. I have to bring that back. That's got to be like 2010, right? Yeah. The, the song is never ever by Sierra. It came out in 2009. So, oh, I was uh, so close. So, First term Obama era uh, fashion. Um, and yes, Al Horford, who I believe was with the Hawks at the time because it was a second year. Why would of the he league. be? Right. So, yes, he is with the Hawks. Why else would he be like in, in a music video with Sierra? It's just so funny. Like, of all the Celtics you would think were in a music video, I don't know where he let where he ranks, but it has to be like fairly low. Um, yes. But, you know, you know, shout out Al. I think reading this is off of Wikipedia. Uh, so grain of salt here. So according to Wikipedia, meanwhile, Al Horford comes up to Sierra, introduces himself and asks her to dance. Re realizing that she needs to let go of this frustrating relationship with her boyfriend and move on. She accepts. So uh, he's kind of like her uh, challenging, you know, the sort of being like the third part of the love triangle there. Interesting. Who, who would have thought? I love it. I love it. We need we need more Celtics in music videos playing the uh, the sort of suitor role. I what's I, the, what I, is favorite. the last music video you watched? Because I was listening to a song with one of my friends over this last week, and they were like, "and it's actually a good music video." And I was like, "I don't even know where I'd find that at this point." I had to search it out on YouTube. Yeah, uh, everything is all YouTube now, or even. I don't even think it's like YouTube anymore. It's just like make a song go hot on TikTok, and then that's, that's where true. that's where people hear it. Uh, and they used to have who, those channels that would play the music videos like on cable. Like they'd be like, "Are you talking about an MTV?" No, no, no. Like there's like they had these channels that would just play the music videos. Terp's like like talking about it like it's like an like an alien civilization. <laughs> no, they like, used to. Well, I'm, used a, to... I'm a cord cutter, so yeah, it is a little. It's a little bit alien to me. Are you talking about like the MHZ channels? Yeah, where you like go they would through just play the music videos, like hip hop, classic hits. Yeah, but mm. they would play the music videos just over and over again. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like uh, it's it's it it was still technically MTV, but it was like MTV jams would be nothing oh, but yeah. music videos. 
Uh, I think VH1 had a, a, a similar a similar thing. Um, so which current Celtics, uh, Al Horford aside, would you think would be best suited for to be in an R&B music video? I think, you know, Jalen Brown has already did like sort of the homemade video with him and his brother for his mom that one time. Yeah. Uh, but what what who would you think? I get my initial thought is like maybe Tatum or Pritchard. I could see Peyton Pritchard in a music video. That, that would think, make a lot of sense. Yeah. Tatum is an obvious one just because of his, you know, star level and right. how much he's already in commercials. Dresses well. His, his acting has improved a lot. I was saying that about the Sports Center commercial that he's in where he walks into yeah. the meeting room and somebody was like, he doesn't even talk in that commercial. And it's like, Maybe that's why it's good. <laughs> um, I would have to go with Luke Cornette. I would really like to see <laughs> Luke Cornette. Maybe in, I don't know, like uh, uh, Megan the Stallion video. Yeah. You know? he, he could, he, he Luke could just Cornette be, could be in WAP part two or something. He could be doing like the, the butterfly bird thing that he does. Uh, I would I would pay to see it. I would pay to see it. That's, that's a good pick. I love the Cornette Dirt? pick. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I have to go with Pritchard too. Like you've seen that video of him like dancing in front of the fridge. I was like, I would love to see that like a music video, like incorporate that somehow. I would love that. I think Pritchard's a good one, uh, but Cornette step Cornette would be hysterical. That'd be the best one. Just giving out Perfect. free ideas. Well, I think Perfect. we're running out of time. We've gone pretty long today, but it was a big week for the Celtics. We will be back next week after new year's. You guys have a great new year's. Terp, you take it easy because you're so young. I will. I, I'm worried about you on a holiday like this. I know you get crazy out there. It's actually my birthday on New Year's Eve, too. So what? Even more. Yeah. New Year's hold Eve. On, hold so on. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait before we go. So wait, were you one of were your parents like hoping that you would be uh, like the first baby born in Massachusetts or something like that on New Year's I, Day? Knowing my mom, she probably was. I've actually never asked it. I, maybe I'll do that now. I'll go give her a call and ask. But uh, yeah, New Year's Eve. So actually on my birth certificate, it says that we were born at night, but we were really born in, at in the morning. It was like 11.55 in the morning, yeah. but on the birth certificate at night. So like I could claim that like, oh, I was almost a New Year's first You're baby so born close. in Massachusetts. But I was close, but yeah. God bless. Well, happy early birthday. Thank so you. That's, that's happy wonderful. early birthday, Terp. I'll bring you a Thank cupcake you. next week. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. See you guys. All right, y'all.